My wife and I are so delighted to worship with you this morning. And I want to thank your pastor, the Reverend Raymond Fong, for inviting me to speak at this service. I know that all your pastors are away for the yearly pastors' retreat, which uh, uh, take place at this time every year. And so we continue to pray for them that God will be with each one of them as uh, they take their needful rest after a very hectic Holy Week season. You know, I feel rather nostalgic whenever I visit to preach. I see many familiar faces and also miss those who have gone to be with the Lord. But in your life must go on as we seek to be faithful to the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This is the Sunday after Easter. And from a liturgical perspective, this period falls between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was around for about 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And so in line with this liturgical season, I've chosen for our meditation a passage from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. And uh, you could follow the text displayed as I read it. And it says in verse 1 of John 21, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Just as they was breaking, Jesus stood by the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was, it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciple came, disciples came in the boat, 
dragging the net full of fish, for there, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the word of God. You know, the passage records a beautiful encounter with Jesus by the Sea of Tiberias, known also as the Sea of Galilee. And according to John, this is the third time Jesus appears to his disciples and, and gathered on that occasion were seven disciples. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and two others. And who they are, we are not told. We are also not told in this text why the disciples were in Galilee, a region about 123 kilometers from Jerusalem where the crucifixion had just taken place. Now, Jerusalem was not close to Galilee, and it would take between two to three days to get to Galilee from Jerusalem by foot or on foot. And hence, a trip to Galilee had to be intentional. So, what were they doing there? What were they doing in Galilee? Now, it seems to me that the disciples were in Galilee because Jesus had chosen Galilee as the site of his post-resurrection appointment and, and, and you will note that uh, this is mentioned at least three times in the Gospel of Matthew. And the first was during the Passover meal on the night of his betrayal when Jesus said to his disciples, But after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And then on the morning of the resurrection, as recorded in, in Matthew 28, when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary visited the tomb of Jesus, they were met by an angel who said, He has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. And again in the same passage, as the women made their way to the tomb to tell the, uh, from the tomb to tell the disciples that Jesus had arisen, Jesus shows up and says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go 
to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so, Galilee, it was for the disciples, and to Galilee they went. But the question we ask is this. Why did Jesus choose Galilee as the site for his post-resurrection appointment instead of some place closer to Jerusalem? I want to suggest five possible reasons. And the first is this. He wanted to test the love and allegiance of, of his disciples. You know, no one would inconvenience himself or herself to take a journey to a far away place if the inviter meant nothing to him or to her. But the inviter in this instance was Jesus himself. And if Jesus, their Lord and Master, was important, just a glimpse of him and the privilege of hearing him speak would would have made the journey so worth the while. You know, sometimes God tests our love and commitment to him by our willingness to be inconvenienced just to obey him. Now, secondly, Jesus chose Galilee because he wanted some quiet moments with his disciples. Jerusalem was a very hostile environment. The disciples were afraid of the Jewish authorities who were out to arrest them. But Galilee had many quiet places where they could meet and talk without interruptions. And Jesus wanted to have them to have some quiet moments with him. Now thirdly, Galilee was home. It was home for the disciples. Now apart from Judas Iscariot, all the disciples were Galileans. And so regrouping them in a safe environment would enable them to recover from the trauma of his crucifixion. You see, the disciples were broken and frightened, frightened, a frightened lot. And home would be a good place to find security, to find love, to find that sense of solidarity. And so, Jesus wanted them to go home, as it were. Fourthly, Galilee was for all, for all of them a place filled with precious memories. They had many good times with the Master. And Jesus knew that bringing them back to Galilee would help them recall the many wonderful experiences they had with him. The successes, the miracles, the casting out of demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, and preaching to the multitudes. What an inspiration! And these memories would hold good for them in the days ahead. And fifthly, 
Galilee was the training ground of the disciples. They would recall the many learning moments they had with the master and what these training moments were meant for as they faced the future. And here, in this text, in this passage, Peter initiates the fishing event. Simon Peter said to them, you find it in verse 3, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now you will notice in this dialogue that a meeting with Jesus was not on the agenda. They were there in Galilee as an act of obedience, but they were not sure when Jesus would show up. And so instead of waiting aimlessly, Peter decided to go fishing. Now remember, fishing was not new to Peter. In fact, Peter and a few of the disciples were seasoned fishermen who at the height of their fishing career left their boats and nets and became fishers of men. In other words, they were professional fishermen. And the Bible tells us that the disciples fished all night and they caught nothing. You know, skilled fishermen know how to catch fish. They know the importance of being patient in catching fish. They know the importance of hard work. But that night, the Bible tells us that they caught nothing. You know, it is quite demoralizing going fishing and come back with nothing. And it seems to me that the lesson that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn is that skills and abilities, although important, do not always guarantee success. Skills and abilities, although important, do not always guarantee success. And I think that's the first lesson we can draw from this text. And I know some of us can identify with this feeling. We are intelligent, we are smart, hardworking in building our business, in developing relationships. And there are times when in spite of our best efforts, they have amounted to nothing. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in hard work. I believe in being trained for the job. I believe in doing our best in whatever we are asked to do. But there are times in spite of our abilities and hard work, we still catch nothing. You see, catching nothing is a disturbing feeling. If you spend the whole night fishing, 
and returned to shore catching nothing. The feeling is quite horrible. I remember speaking on the first night of the first victory meetings. I don't know whether you remember the victory meetings we had in the 80s. And I remember as pastor in church, I spoke at this first victory meeting. Victory meeting was something that was done during the, the, the uh, stewardship of Reverend Dr. Tony Chi. And when, when I became pastor, I just carried on what he started. And so that, was my, that night was my first victory meeting. You know, we, we, we had spent uh, close to a year preparing for the three-day event. And did all we could to invite friends. And I want to say I worked very hard on my sermons. That night, I spoke. And then I, met, I made an invitation. But no one responded. Zero. I caught no fish. Now perhaps some of us are going through such an experience today. Everything we have invested in, everything through the years, and they have come to naught. We have caught nothing. The disciples went through that painful experience of catching nothing. But things were about to change. And the Bible tells us that just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. But the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you know, you, you have no, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now, they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. The mention of daybreak is significant. You see, daybreak signals the transition from darkness to night, uh, to light. A transition from darkness to light. And there is glory at daybreak. Things happen at daybreak. The disciples meet with Jesus and something wonderful happens. There is fish. Lots of fish. When earlier, there were none. You see, daybreak is when darkness turns to light. 
Daybreak is when the ordinary experiences the extraordinary. Daybreak is when the master whom we love appears and makes a difference. Daybreak is a symbol of change. It is a symbol of hope. Night has turned to day. Darkness gives way to light. The morning has broken. The passage says, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus, you know, appears at the most unexpected time and at the most unexpected place. You see, it was not until the disciples encountered Jesus that they see the glory of God. The encounter begins with a dialogue. Children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. It seems to me that Jesus wants to communicate to us a direction. A direction that will change our season of drought to a season of plenty. Jesus can do it. And I choose to believe it. What about you? You see, Jesus wants to have a dialogue with us in our challenging moments so that he can show us his way. And that's the second lesson we can draw from this text. And you will notice, he poses them the question in order to provide an answer. Jesus wants to talk to us in order to show us his way. That night, after the victory meeting, I went home, went on my knees, and talked to Jesus. And Jesus said to me, you know what's your problem? You're just too tense. And you're just too self-conscious. Go make the invitation again, and I will do the rest. The second and third night, I experienced a fresh flow of God's grace. People responded to the altar call. 
and many experience the touch of Jesus. God had taught me the lesson of surrender. And isn't that what prayer is all about? He talks to us as we talk to him. You know, Joseph Scriven was right when he wrote these beautiful lines. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we engaged in a conversation with the Master? You see, it is as we converse with Him that we begin to recognize Him when He speaks. You know, why does a child respond to a mother's voice? It is because the mother's voice is well known to the child as a result of constant communion. Mother's voice soothes a child to sleep. Mother's voice gives security and comfort. Mother's voice indicates that food is available and ready. And Jesus understood the power of a voice. And in speaking about sheep, Jesus says, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. When we know the master, we know a familiar voice. Now I'm, I'm inclined to believe that when the disciples heard the voice of Jesus saying, Cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. They recognize the master's voice and hence obey. In fact, we are told in verse 7 that the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. And this is also affirmed by John in the second half of verse 12 which says, now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. They recognized the master's voice. Do we recognize the master's voice? Now it seems to me that the, the encounter in Galilee which come, comes towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
mirrors what took place in Galilee at the beginning of his ministry. And you will remember that at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus meets with the disciples and calls them into submission as his disciples. Now, after the resurrection, he meets the disciples also in Galilee, and he commissions them for greater services ahead. Now, in the fishing episode, at the beginning of his ministry, there, there was a fishing episode that, takes, that took place early in, the min, in ministry, recorded in Luke 5. And in that episode, Jesus meets his disciples after ministering to a crowd in Galilee, and then he gets into a boat and asks Peter to let down his nets for a catch. And Peter says to Jesus, you find it in Luke 5 verse 5, uh, Peter says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We caught nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Now the expression in John 21 verse 3 is similar. John writes, they went out and got in the, into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. In both these incidents, they caught nothing. Then in both Luke and John, there's a mention of a big catch. In Luke 5, 6, it says, when they had done this, done what Jesus had asked them to do, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And this experience is repeated in John 21. When John writes in verse 6, so they, 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 they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it because of the quantity of fish. Now, what was Jesus attempting to do? I believe Jesus, in repeating what took place, was crafting a memory milestone, a memory milestone that will remain ingrained in the hearts and minds of his disciples for the rest of their lives. You see, Jesus crafts memory milestones in our spiritual journey to help us remember his grace and goodness. And that is the third lesson we can draw from this text. He wants us to draw on our memory bank of precious memories to keep us on track with him. Jesus wanted his disciples to remember that they were fishers of men. And the call to be fishers of men was to remain true in the remaining days of their lives. 
Jesus wanted them to remember the many experiences they had with him in the three and a half years they spent with him. They needed to remember that he remains faithful even when things seem not to be working out in their favor. And so my question to you, don't you, don't you too have special memories of God's goodness in your memory bank of faith? And I want to encourage you to draw on them when things get rough. The Christ who stood by you in difficult moments when things were tough will be the Christ who will stand by you as you face fresh challenges. And I would do that all the time and encourage my children and my grandchildren to, children to do the same, draw on these memories in your spiritual memory bank. So what is God saying to us as I close? Firstly, there will be moments in life when our skills our abilities, our training may not bear fruit. And perhaps some of us are going through such a moment right now. Take these as learning moments and surrender them to the master of our lives. Let him show us the way and he will. Secondly, we can experience glory at daybreak when God will turn our darkness into light and our night into morning. He will turn our nothing into abundance and we will see the glory of God. He wants us to reconnect with him. He wants us to hear him as he speaks to us. He wants us to experience his glory at daybreak. And my challenge to you is to claim it for yourself today. And thirdly, as followers of Jesus, <clears throat> God has given you some very special spiritual encounters that are lodged in your spiritual memory bank. Draw on these memories when life gets tough. The God who delivered you then will be the God who will deliver you now. Just trust in him.
Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Maybe there are some of us who are going through a really difficult time of our lives. Like the disciples, we have caught nothing. And there are so many challenges before us. And there are times we don't, do not know where to begin to resolve some of these challenges. But you have reminded us today to turn to you, to converse with you, to dialogue with you, because you will tell us where to cast our nets. And help us, Father, to exercise faith in you and to believe that you're the God, you're the God who does all things well. Teach us, Father, not to forget your goodness. Help us remember what you have done for us in the past. Believing that as we move into the future, facing a variety of challenges, you will also meet us at our points of need. And so, Father, we thank you for your word to us. Hide your word in our hearts that we will not sin against you. In Jesus' name.